What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Shea Salescast, episode three. I'm here with Dr. Lisa Bieler, who is a faculty member at Ohio University. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm good, Cole. Could you tell me a little bit about your professional background and how you arrived at Ohio University? Yeah, absolutely. So um, originally, I'm from central Appalachia, East Tennessee, and I've spent a lot of my life in Tennessee. So my undergrad and my PhD are from Tennessee. Um, My master's is from Kentucky, so there's a bit of torn SEC loyalty there. Uh, But I spent eight years in between my master's and my PhD working in sales. So first as a marketing coordinator, but I also did a lot of sales aspects in the sense of working at trade shows and those sorts of things for a B2B home decor company called Home Spice Decor. And then the last few years in Atlanta, I spent working as the national marketing and sales director for a parking company. Um, we sold to, we sold at parking, you think, you know, that's not yeah. a super interesting thing to sell, but it's actually so much fun because we sold to casinos, hospitals, a lot of luxury malls, right? So anybody that has valet or garage management. Um, And after that, like I said, I got my PhD, and here I am at OU, uh, super excited. Came here specifically to be in the Shea Cell Center, so the last year and a half has been amazing. Awesome. Definitely a good thing to be a part of, whether you're a student or or on the faculty. Um, So your current position, you are the Director of Diversity and Internships for the Shea, so you have your hands in a lot of different things, different responsibilities. Can you talk about um, some of your responsibilities with diversity specifically first? Absolutely. So um, just like a lot of corporate partners we work with and companies, we are considering what can we do, right, to not only increase the numbers of diverse candidates that we bring in and that we have in the Shea, but also how do we make those candidates happy and keep those candidates, right? And also how do we bring those candidates to partners that are also looking for those candidates currently? So um, we've, myself and uh, a couple of the directors have been working through some of those in- initiatives the last couple of years. So for example, we have been speaking to different organizations, right? So for example, uh, the black engineering organization we have here on campus, we've been speaking to a lot of women's organizations, um, but we also take kind of a broader perspective in the Shea because we also believe it's about diversity of thought, right? Absolutely. So. Um, we're also kind of tapping different colleges, right? A lot of our corporate partners want certain people with technical skills, mm-hmm. such as engineering, or maybe a, a bio or a medical background to do medical sales, right? So we've taken kind of a wide perspective of diversity and inclusion in the, in the last year or so. Um, but we are definitely focusing on a lot of the traditional uh, components that you think about, but also, like I said, different colleges. Awesome. So how have some of these initiatives grown and improved in the past couple of years? What were some specific takeaways, maybe learnings that you've had from your time, your year and a half here so far? Sure. Um, So some of the things that we've been doing is, for example, we've brought in corporate partners to lead workshops. We recently had a great workshop on unconscious bias, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that we all hold bias of some sort, whether we want to admit it or not, it's there. Uh, Some of us may be more than others, but truly the first step is being aware of that right? So we held some workshops on that. Um, We've done some workshops bringing in different corporate partners to talk about their initiatives. Um, Like for example, I know Enterprise, one of our corporate partners, is doing some amazing things to be inclusive with veterans and women. So we've been doing those things and over the last year and a half we've seen a great increase in the different subsets of diversity that we've been trying to 
really reach out to and speak to. Um, we are up. Our numbers are up. So we have about 12% of the people in the Shea um, identify as non-white. We also have about 26 people that are not college of business majors, right? And then we also have genders about 50-50 every year. So that's something we're really proud of, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, the numbers are very representative of the population on campus, but of course, we want to continue. I really have enjoyed um, just trying to grow my awareness. I know Michelle Jeffries, who is the former co-chair of the Shea, was really big in helping this initiative absolutely. get off the ground. And I always enjoyed just having some thought-provoking conversations at those workshops um, from my freshman year all the way to now and trying to build off of that each year with yeah. some of the younger kids to make sure it continues. So that's really awesome. Right. And your mom even joined one, yeah. right? Yeah, that well, was awesome on mom's weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other part of your position has to do with kind of leading Mache's internship efforts, um, facilitating interactions between the partners, the students to make sure that that goes well and it's a really fruitful learning environment mm -hmm. over the summer. Could you tell me a little bit about um, what makes a good internship and what are some of the components of your position? Sure, absolutely. So you just ask the question that I hear almost every time we meet with corporate partners or potential corporate partners, what is a good internship, right? So obviously after getting that question many times, I thought, well, you know, we need to figure this yeah. out for our corporate partners. So we recently reconfigured our portfolio, our digital portfolio, which is what a lot of the students complete during their internship. Um, and a component of that now at the end is about feedback. So we ask questions about, for example, you know, tell us what you did on a daily basis at your internship. Tell us about the culture of your internship. Tell us a little bit about the positives um, and also the areas for opportunity, right? So in doing that, I've been able to look through a lot of people's examples um, over the last, I think, maybe about 250 internships at this point. And I really see a theme of two different components, one being transparency. And that's on both the student and the corporate partners um, responsibilities, really. Mm -hmm. So first of all, the student being very upfront and transparent about the things that they're hoping to learn, right? Um, very up, upfront and transparent about maybe their shortcomings or the things that they're kind of skeptical about in the internship. And on the corporate partners um, side, really thinking about what is the student really going to be doing? Um, that may not be something that you necessarily have, yeah. but if that's true, then telling them, look, this is the first time we're doing this. We're not 100% sure what that's going to look like, but we hope to do these things, right? And then it's on the student throughout that internship to engage, to consistently be asking for, hey, can I help you with this? Hey, that would be something I would love to sit in on, right? So internships are tricky. Um, I always yeah. joke around that it's a little bit like dating in the sense if you're trying to figure out, like, do I like this company? They're trying to figure out, do we like this student, right? But transparency is really going to help that fit be, I think, very um, apparent for both, both people and parties involved. Um, secondly, I think a, a component that is really important is this idea of, if possible, allowing your students to get a little taste of the different aspects of business while they're at your internship. So we don't want students leaving with a siloed effect, thinking that, you know what, I'm just gonna sell, 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 and that's 
And if we do that as a business, we're going to succeed. I think it's wonderful to be able to allow them, if possible, to maybe sit with accounting for a day. Just figure out mm-hmm. what, what are they doing? What can I do to make both of our jobs easier? What can I do to ensure that I handle the process in a way that is helpful helpful for them? Maybe sit in on a business with some of the executives, if possible, to see what does it look like you know, to build strategy at the top. Sit with maybe go on the manufacturing floor, right? Mm-hmm. To see what are the frontline workers doing. I think that really gives students a nice comprehensive view of what is it like to run a business, and it helps them make decisions with every with other components of the business in mind, right? It's interesting. I always tell students about how important cross functional integration is. Yet we really struggle with it. I mean, to this day, I Definitely. think companies really struggle with it. I'm so focused on selling, you're so focused on getting your marketing, you know, material collateral done, and you're so focused on, you know, worrying about the numbers and the books that we still struggle with figuring out how can we work smarter as a team. So I think, yeah, I think transparency and then if if possible, allowing the student to have a little bit of a taste of all the components of how the business runs. And that may that may look literally Nothing but it look like nothing but a week of just visiting these different different aspects. I mean, it could be that simple, but I think it opens students' eyes to this is not just about the sales team or this is just not about me, right? So I think that those are the two things that we've seen most common. I definitely enjoyed the opportunity with the portfolio to uh, do some meaningful reflection, and then it also had some components that were encouraging you to reach out to top salespeople or managers at the company and, and kind of have lunch with them or something and find out some tips that they have that you can actually take back to your work environment. Right. I enjoyed that. To your point of kind of networking with different functions, we had that at my internship at Intuit where awesome. we had brown bag sessions where oftentimes they would end up Skyping in because they were in remote locations, but we had people from marketing, product development, product management, um, software engineering, all that stuff talking about um, their journey to the company, their journey after starting that, at Intuit. Uh, and it was really cool just to be able to relate to them on a personal level and not have those barriers of, you're a salesperson, I'm an engineer, things like that. And I think that it showed um, that that integration that you talked about is possible. Absolutely. And I really enjoyed having the opportunity to network with different types of people as well. Awesome. And I, I mean, that was really our goal of the new digital portfolio that the students fill out over their internship was this idea of networking, you know, gaining all the knowledge you can from the people that you're working with while you're geographically there, right? So we really believe in the Shea in the component of professional development. You know, I personally believe that that is what makes a good employee, someone who's always learning, always growing, always trying to use every opportunity to connect, to, you know, build their network. Um, I always joke that, man, some of the best jobs I had before I came here, it was meeting some random person at a restaurant or something, right? So it's so important to um, you know, sharpen and hone those skills before you get out on your first job. If you can do that, I really believe you're a step ahead of the game. So that digital portfolio, the new one, that's really the purpose of it. So I'm glad to hear that you had, you know, you recognize the experience you gained from going through those activities and being able to network with different people. 
Well, I think it's just being willing to be open-minded and not like necessarily putting up a wall and thinking that somebody that does something different than your specific job can't yes. teach you something. Yes, absolutely. And I definitely found that that was true, that uh, even though the job's different, I can definitely learn from them, whether it's something about the company or how to interact with other people. It was really cool. Right. And I, that's another personal value of mine. Like, I truly believe you can always learn from everyone. Definitely. Everyone brings a life experience that you do not know, right? Mm -hmm. So you have no idea what you can learn from that person. So breaking down those barriers and walls absolutely is critical, I think, for connecting, which we know is so important as a salesperson. Definitely. So we're fortunate in the Shea. I think we probably have one of the most, if not the most active research faculty teams in the country um, for sales. So you're currently working on a study research project called Back in Black, the influence of color on a customer's willingness to engage on LinkedIn. Um, sounds incredibly interesting. Could you tell me a little bit about the scope of this project and maybe some things you found? Sure, absolutely. So uh, back in black, obviously I'm a sucker for a good title and obviously I just <laughs> aged myself there with that title, back in black. Uh, but yeah, so this project is really far from what I normally do. A lot of my um, past research has been focused on sales performance and their attachment to the brand they sell, um, cross-functional team, uh, ethics within the, the firm. This one was really just almost like a joke at first in the yeah. sense of I was like, wouldn't it be crazy if, right? Mm -hmm. So I was having this conversation uh, with one of the professors here and I said, would it not be crazy if we could simply change a color on our LinkedIn page and get potential customers to engage with us, right? So I started reading some color literature and I thought, hey, why not? I'm gonna try this. So I read an experiment and all I did was manipulated the background color of a LinkedIn page. So it's all the same, but one page had a gray background, the other one had a black background. And in doing that, I found that customers were more willing to engage. They were more willing to answer a um, inbox message you send, more willing to like, and more willing to share content. And I thought, huh, that must be a fluke, right? So I tried it again. But this time, the only thing I manipulated was the color of the suit that the salesperson was wearing in their profile picture. So we put a dark gray suit versus a black suit. The results replicated. And I once again thought, no way. Like, surely, like, mm -hmm. we are not that easily influenced, right? We would like to think that we aren't that easily influenced. But once again, I changed the title of a, a blog, pretty much, that the salesperson had hypothetically written from gray to black. And once again, people were more likely to like, respond, um, and engage and comment with a salesperson. So in other words, it's scary, right? That we can mm -hmm. be manipulated so easily. Yeah. Uh, however, this idea of social selling, I mean, we all do it now, right? I mean, it's part of the game now. Is Social selling is a component that if you're not doing it, you're really missing out on a valuable chunk of opportunities. So with that being said, I think we've only scratched the surface when it comes to the psychology behind, you know, we have a lot of marketing studies on different sorts of things, like how shapes influence our decisions, how atmosphere, how color, all these things, right? And we've really only scratched the surface, I think. So it really opened my eyes to, to the potential opportunities we have um, in 
social selling. So if you'll notice now, if you go to my LinkedIn page, my uh, background cover photo is mostly black, <laughs> you know, in hopes that potential customers um, and, you know, current connections I have will be more willing to engage. Now, we're exploring right now, like, what is the mechanism behind that? Why is that? Well, when you think of what we think, when we think of little black dresses, black limousines, black tie affairs, those have an air of class, right? Mm -hmm. So we recently did, uh, I have some co-authors now working on it with me. We recently ran a study that actually shows that the black is um, evoking a feeling of class in mm -hmm. that person, which ultimately evokes credibility. Mm -hmm. And then credibility makes you more willing to engage with this person, right? Because we're all cautious how we engage on the internet, right? So it makes you more willing to engage with this person. So yeah, so that that's a current project I'm working on that I think is pretty interesting, yeah. right? Um, and like I said, I think, man, there's just so much more to be done in the area of social selling regarding research. Well, I think there's a couple things that I would initially think from that. I think gray is kind of, I mean, black and gray are both neutral colors, but mm -hmm. I think gray is kind of in between. Mm -hmm. So I think it could have somewhat of a vibe of maybe some uncertainty. Um, so that could be something maybe, maybe not. Sure. But I also think in terms of just in general how people lay their LinkedIn profile out, it typically has color schemes related to whatever their company is. Absolutely. So that's interesting because that could potentially be a disadvantage. Absolutely. It, so in other words, let's say you do that, right? Mm -hmm then what we're finding and we use we use an attribution theory which pretty much says that you make assumptions right you attribute the the feelings that are evoked because of that color you attribute them to the salesperson yeah. so you're making those assumptions right so I, I think it can be dangerous in certain instances which is an interesting area right because yeah, you want to represent your your company but it can be dangerous um, but yeah I mean I, I just think, yeah, what, what else are we missing out yeah. on, right? Um, there's just so much more to be considered in social selling. Yeah, it's really cool. I would have never really thought about the significance of the color scheme on my page from like a social selling perspective right. rather than just a visual perspective. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're all, I mean, of course, there's a few people that absolutely seem to know what they're doing on, yeah. on social media and, yeah. you know, in regards to selling, but we're all kind of figuring it out, right? Like it's one so of the, new. Yeah, it, it is really absolutely it, it. And that's it. Right. It's like the second you have it figured out Done. something yeah. else. Right. <laughs> um, so that is one of the questions I get from the students all the time. You know, it's, I have a, I have a LinkedIn page, but what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I think there's some fear too, right? Uh, especially maybe as a student fear of like, what if I try to connect with this person and they don't connect with yeah. me, you know? So there's a lot of hesitation, a lot of uncertainty. So I'm excited to be at least literally scratching the surface, yeah. you know, there's so much more to go, but it's super exciting to think about that. Well, I think from a student perspective too, it's kind of hard to distinguish like an Instagram post versus like, this is a professional, right. this is completely yes. different to where yes. you should be detached, whether you're Absolutely. getting and things like that. Um, and we talked about this a little bit on a, a previous podcast with Jeff. Um, like you said, a lot of people have that profile, but they're really struggling to build it yes. up. Um, and I think a good solution to that is just starting to do curated content where you're sharing and commenting on things absolutely rather than trying to write your own articles or things like that so 
that would probably be my recommendation to the students out there listening for sure. Absolutely, and I think that's a great point. And when the students ask, you know, it's the whole adage of how do you eat an elephant and it's a spoonful at a time. So it's kind of the same idea, right? How do you how do you get your LinkedIn going? And it's a day at a time. So I tell the students every day, go find an article that speaks to your brand, right? So like if your brand is diversity and inclusion, go find an article, read it thoroughly. Definitely. Right? Um, find an article, read it thoroughly. If nothing else, pull out a comment, a quote that stuck with you and post it just one one time a day. Start there and then you can build from there, right? So that's an easy one. Every day just find something. And if nothing else, you should be learning every day anyway yeah. in your area, right? In your brand. So if your brand is that, you should be reading something every day anyway. So it's a, it's an easy easy way to start, right? Um, and now, of course, you should change your background to black, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think what you just said, great, great tip. And yeah, so just start slow, right? It's You don't want them drinking out of a fire hydrant. Yeah. So. And a lot of times, too, people, especially Shea students, are doing professional development events and, and achieving things when they're not even posting about them. Yes. So a lot of the times yes. you see people just yeah. make the profile and then they sign yeah. for an internship and then they post and then next yeah. year they post when they yeah. get a job and it's like, you did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, self-promotion is yeah, okay. Exactly. Yes, yeah. yes. So I think a lot of opportunity, but I'm interested to see how everything will evolve. Um, so back to the diversity and inclusion piece. Um, it's definitely a changing environment, and I think it's becoming increasingly important to companies, um, and they're definitely valuing and trying to figure it out. Uh, how do you differentiate between diversity and inclusion, and why do both pieces play a critical role? That's a really good question, um, and a lot of people have different perspectives on this, but I, I think that a lot of people agree with the idea that Diversity is really about kind of numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to create an essence of it, it's about numbers. So how many of this group are sitting at the table? How many of this group are in this department? How many of this group are being recruited, right? Whereas inclusion is leveraging those voices. So diversity is about number of voices. Inclusion is optimizing and leveraging those voices. Um, and I honestly think, uh, and we may talk a little bit about this uh, in a bit, but I honestly think that, you know, it's another thing that we're all trying to figure out, right? So we all have to have a little bit of grace with each other, um, trying to figure out what is the appropriate way to recruit and um, also include people mm -hmm. from diverse backgrounds. Um, but I do think that a lot of companies now are striving for the numbers part which that is a first step. Yeah. So we're not knocking that by any means. Like we absolutely should be striving for the numbers part. I think where a lot of us though are really dropping the ball is the inclusion part, right? And I know even in higher education, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, yeah, we get people from diverse perspectives, but man, keeping people, that's tough, right? Um, so that's really the difference. And, you know, I think a lot of us are in the stage of, the numbers part of it. Um, but if you get those numbers and you're not at least considering the inclusion part of it, you're going to lose those numbers once again. Yeah. So it's a consistent, right? It's a feedback loop of getting people in with a diverse perspective and then 
trying to understand like what can we do to make sure that your voice is a included but b that you truly feel part of the team right um it's not about quotas people are not quotas um yes numbers matter but taking that perspective can be dangerous when it comes to the inclusion aspect so you talked about the numbers piece and mm -hmm. i think it's it seems it's very important to acknowledge that that's not an ending point for sure yeah that once you hit your goal percentage, it's not necessarily you need to try and increase that percentage, but how are you leveraging and in yes. including uh, these people to give them the same opportunities as, as other groups for sure. Um, so what are some kind of cutting edge ways that you've seen in industry, whether it be um, with large businesses, small businesses, student organizations, things like that, that have seen improvement? I love the idea of blind hiring. I love the idea of resumes coming in and being stripped of any identifying information, of any sort of um, race, gender, sexual orientation, anything that will point to this person being from an underrepresented group. Uh, the reason being is because even those with the best intentions, we all have those bias, right? So. Some of us may think we have no issue, right? I see this yeah. and I'm like, no problem. Um, but recently, like for example, at the Shea Symposium, I did a workshop uh, about hiring, right? Where we all saw very similar, well, they technically were the exact same um, applications, right? Description of the candidate. Half of the group got candidates that were male and Caucasian. Half of the group got candidates that were of an underrepresented population. So what we did was we flipped in the sense of uh, group A had like three white males and then had like three from an underrepresented. Group B, those were flipped. Mm -hmm. So all the ones that were white on group A were underrepresented. And I think it very much surprised the people in the room that I have no doubt um, are intelligent, well-intended, you know, it surprised them when they saw they literally flipped the choice of candidates. Now, not 100% all the yeah. way through, right? But it was extremely different um, who the group A chose versus who the group B chose. So this idea of stripping it, of devoiding um, the hiring process, devoiding all resumes of any kind of identifying information. Another great way is to think about starting with your purpose and working backwards. So start with what does the perfect candidate look like in this sense of experience? Um, exactly. Yeah. So starting with that purpose and working backwards. That way you can kind of check yourself, right? Like if you, if you find yourself leaning towards this candidate, but you realize that their qualifications aren't lining up, you might have to take a moment and rethink, like why am I preferring this candidate so much, right? So I think that uh, there's a few different ways in hiring there um, that you could consider. Um, now with your current team, I think some things to consider are, first of all, there's, this, there's research on this idea of cultural brokers. So cultural brokers can be people from any background, any race, any ethnicity, any gender, it does not matter. But it's people that have, um, I would argue, it's somewhat of a global perspective in the sense of maybe they've had a lot of experience with different types of people in their life. Uh, maybe they're from a city that you know is very diverse. Maybe they're from New York City, right? Something like that. 
Um, but these people obviously, and, and this is on managers and, and people within the firm to kind of, you know, watch people interact and pick these cultural brokers out. But these are people that tend to be glue between people, right? Mm -hmm. So I can think even here, you know, in, in the marketing department, um, I can think of people who I'm like, yeah, that person seems to get along with everybody. Yeah. Like they understand others' perspectives, right? So finding those cultural brokers and really leverage them, leveraging them and utilizing them in groups, right? Making sure diverse groups have those cultural brokers. I think that that's one way that you can consider your current team, right? We talked about hiring, but your current team, how to optimize um, for diversity and inclusion. And I think it's the, the cultural brokers piece, it sounds like they're almost like an influencer or, an, or a change advocate to try and keep those, like everybody together and, and facilitate those efforts. Um, I hadn't thought about really on a hiring perspective at all. I think a lot of people, when they think of diversity, it's more um, like up top corporate policy that oftentimes probably doesn't actually get implemented. Um, so we've talked in the past about how like your, your managers are the people that actually implement that change. So I thought that was a really interesting point um, that you really need to have open-minded managers and human resources people that are willing to um, really enforce that that change to get uh, not only ethnically diverse and, and all the other categories, but also people that think differently. Uh, in addition to that, I liked the, the working backwards piece. So you can tell just you're not, you're trying to limit the bias. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. So what were a few, uh, a few key takeaways just about diversity inclusion, um, potentially some stuff you see moving forward that you think it's important to know for somebody, especially in business, that they can take away to work tomorrow or Monday, I guess, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just reiterating that idea that the numbers is a component of it. Right. But leveraging and using those voices is really important. And, you know, leveraging and using those voices can mean a lot of different things depending on your company. Right. Um, but also just being aware when those voices are being stifled. Uh, so a lot of things that, you know, myself being a white woman, there are certain things that I am more aware of and more sensitive to than someone from a different background, right? So I may not notice uh, someone's voice being stifled that is not from my background. So I think really opening our eyes, right? So I'm very quick to notice when I'm talked over in a meeting, right? Because that's something that a lot of people have to deal with, period. Um, but research shows that women, by the numbers, deal with that more often. So I'm, I'm very aware of that. I'm very sensitive to that. I recognize that. Whereas sitting down with someone from an underrepresented group and simply saying, you know, from a genuine, from a, a learning lens, asking, you know, what kinds of things in our company do you see that are stifling, you know, people from X groups, right? Um, I think a lot of people are scared to dive into those Definitely. topics, right? Um, but as we know, being in sales, fear is not a reason 
to not push forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that was true, a lot of us wouldn't be in sales, right? Uh, a lot of us have been scared. I don't want to call on that person. I don't want to, yeah. you know. Um, so finding people in your company um, that can help you with this initiative, but also come coming from a genuine learning and understanding perspective. I think that a lot of companies, that's kind of the phase we're at right now. You know, I would like to think that diversity and inclusion is not a newer idea, uh, but for it really being a top priority for a lot of companies, it is. Um, and that's okay in the sense of just own where you are right now. And if, if that means starting with those questions, ask those questions, right? So I think that that just key takeaway of figuring out, you know, what are your numbers? How do we optimize and leverage those voices? And where are voices getting stifled? Um, and a lot of that's the groundwork you've got to lay before you can even start thinking about tactics, right? Well, I think a lot of people have kind of a false perspective of, if they're not doing anything that's offending anyone, and then they're fine. And I think that that's where the unconscious bias comes in to realize that you might not per se be doing anything wrong, but you just need to consider um, kind of how you are impacting other people in, in a professional environment um, more than ever before, I think so. Absolutely, and I think to take that even one step further too is being a bystander also, mm-hmm. you know, like, so if you think you're not doing anything, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's okay, um, but also sitting there when you're watching things being done that you know, uh, like, I'm not sure that that's cultivating, you know, the voices, I'm not sure about that. Sitting there, I would argue would be just as tough, you know, for a lot of people. So not only, you know, not only just not saying or doing those things yourself, but also being willing to step in sometimes and help someone out, right? Um, I love, there's all kinds of tactics, um, and maybe this is a, you know, another podcast in another year, but I love the tactics uh, about like meetings, right? Like how do you make sure that all voices are being heard? And there's plenty of research that talks about the best teams, a lot of the, the core competencies of those teams is that it's shared contribution. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that doesn't always work, and that's not going to work in every situation. It's not be even absolutely, either. absolutely. But there are a lot of great, great ideas out there regarding leveraging voices and making sure voices are heard. Um, so, yeah, so maybe that's another day, but definitely go check some of those resources out. I mean, absolutely. HBR publishes all kinds of stuff like that. So that would be a great place to start. So last kind of discussion topic would be, how does uh, diversity inclusion specifically relate to salespeople and sales managers? Oh, great question. So, I mean, put simply and very um, kind of business-minded, diversity and inclusion increases performance. Um, Most recently, an article came out that showed that if you have a diverse team, you are, so I think it was the top, let me make sure I got this right, I think it was the top 500 um, technology companies. And the teams that were diverse outperformed the other teams by 35%, right? We also show that there's diversity, I'm sorry, there's performance increases in the sense of creativity, 
Uh, there's performance increases in the sense of people are better able to adapt, right? And that's the key aspect I always tell my students regarding how important it is to, whether we're talking about diversity and inclusion or whether we're just talking about empathizing and understanding the customer's perspective, it is so critical to be able to adapt, right? To understand the customer and adapt to their needs or to their perspective. And if you have never worked with anyone from a diverse background, you may have a hard time switching, right? Whenever you meet that customer or that potential buyer or, you know, or working with a team from a different geographic region, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if your culture in your firm or who you are is, you know, I have people in my life from different walks, I work with people from different walks, it's a lot easier to kind of jump into those different roles when you get in front of customers, right? So it's almost like training, if nothing else. Yeah. So the, the combined piece of increasing performance and being able to adapt quicker as a salesperson, I think that those are, I mean, for me, it's an easy, like, why not? Like, why not um, encourage diversity and inclusion in our sales team, in our workplace, right? Um, there's also, just to be frank, there's the part of me that I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, but man, the numbers alone is enough for me to at least consider it. Well, I think even in my three-month internship, you could see one week, one tactic's working that one person's doing, and then the next day, it's not the same thing. So I think having a pool of different, not only types of people, but perspectives Absolutely. and skill sets is really uh, just the best way to do things because at some point the market is going to adapt and you're going to essentially have a better advantage uh, than somebody that's very one-dimensional in how they're approaching sales. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm super excited. In the fall, um, the College of Business has approved me teaching a diversity and inclusion in marketing course. And awesome. we're going to talk a lot. You know, I think students need to be prepared when they go into their workplace to have conversations about diversity and inclusion, right? Um, so yeah, we'll be teaching, I'll be teaching a course in the fall, and we're gonna focus a lot on this idea of, you know, the sales team and diversity and inclusion, your marketing initiative, initiatives, your strategy as a company. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I think it's awesome that uh, the Shea and the College of Business are really pushing this initiative um, because I think that like I said, not only is it the right thing to do, but performance-wise, it's, it's yeah, it's a competitive advantage. advantage. So hopefully, you know, I don't want to call this a trend because it's not a trend. Like this is something that needs to be addressed in companies. This is mm -hmm. not a like, let's do this for yeah. a little while and move on. Um, but it is a competitive advantage in the sense of building a diverse team in your company. The research shows turns into profits. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lisa. That is episode three of the Shea Salescast, and more to come soon.